This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. For those of you who are brand new, my name is Ron. I am the pastor of the church, and I'm going to be teaching us over the next few minutes about some really important things. And they are things that, as uh, I saw in a movie once, where a pastor said when someone said, man, that was a really good talk. He said, "Uh, well, yeah, but they're not original with me. I got them out of a book. Okay? And the truth is, everything I'm going to teach us this morning, none of it is original with me. Okay? It all comes out of the life and the teachings of Jesus. But listen to this. This is a church where everyone is loved. I hope you felt that on the way in. I hope you feel that now. We don't care who you are. We don't care what you've done. We, we literally don't care about any of the other details of your life. If you cared enough to show up this morning, we will love you completely and without preservation. Secondly, we acknowledge nobody's perfect. So if you came this morning and you think, oh man, if they only knew the truth about me, I'm not sure they would love me that much. Guess what? We all have that thought. Okay? I I shared with uh, some of the people teaching our next-gen kids this morning I shared with them, I'm sure glad that people can't always read my thoughts. Are you glad people can't read your thoughts? You ever have some thoughts that you go, "Mm, where'd that come from? We all got them. Okay? It's part of our broken human nature. So we start from the premise that nobody's perfect. It's okay. God doesn't love perfect people. He loves honest and open people. Actually, he loves everybody, even if you're not honest and open. But he wants you to be honest and open because we also believe that if we'll be honest and open with him, anything's possible. He can make anything happen in us and through us if we will open our hearts to him. Okay, with that in mind, we are ready to talk about over the last two weeks and this week and next week. By the way, next week, we have another guest teacher. Her name is Jenny, and she is the regional director of Inner Varsity Christian Fellowship, which is a campus club that meets um, at Sonoma State University, SRJC, and so forth. Um, She, I already know, she sent me her outline. She is going to be raw and vulnerable with us about what God is doing in her life right now and how that might encourage us. So I want to encourage you to come back. It's, It's going to be really good. We're in this journey through a letter in that's recorded in the Bible called Ephesians because it was a letter that Paul wrote 
to the church in Ephesus, the church that he had started. And Ephesus is a city in what we would call today Turkey. Okay? Fabulously wealthy city, beautiful city, built almost exclusively out of marble. It's a fantastic place. Um, the people there had really opened their hearts to Jesus. And in this letter, Paul is explaining to them what the way of Jesus actually looks like in real life. And because of that, it's the clearest picture we have in all of the Bible for what it looks like for us to actually follow Jesus and walk through this life with him. And the first week we talked about us being adopted into the family of God and that we have this new identity in Jesus. And last week, Pastor Bill talked to us about what it means to be resourced with an inheritance and with the Holy Spirit so that we're not just adopted, we are resourced. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that we actually can be enriched, that we can live an enriched life. That's super important because unless we know that there's different levels of living, we're likely just to settle for whatever level we're on, right? Yeah, it feels normal to us. That's why we're doing it. But Jesus said something really insightful as he was teaching one day, and it's on the screen. He said, look, I have come that people may have life and have it to the full. Now, the interesting thing about that is when Jesus said, I have come that people may have life, it's our assumption that they would already be living or they wouldn't be people, correct? And yet Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. I've come to give living people life. And just in case we miss that, he said, I've come to give living people life, and it's actually life to its fullest and richest dimension. So in your terms and mine, it looks sort of like this. Jesus came to reveal a new, a new way to live that's built on a completely new perspective about how life works. Hmm. Jesus made it very clear that his teachings were not an add-on to our current life. Like um, a spare tire on a car. I got four good ones, but it's nice to have a spare. I'm doing okay in life. I'll stick on a little Jesus. I'm good. No, no, that's not what he said. Jesus made it very clear. In fact, look at how Jesus described this new life that he was going to give us. To find your life, you must lose your life. Oh, stop right there. Is that hard? Shake your head like this. That's hard. Anybody come to church this morning to lose your life? No. 
If I had said, anybody come to church today to find your life? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all on board with that. I'm not so sure about that losing thing. And yet Jesus said, to find your life, you have to lose it. And then he went on to explain, and <coughs> whoever loses his life for my sake will actually find it. Again, in your terms and mine, this is what that looks like. In order for us to actually experience the way of life, the way of Jesus, I must first let go of the life I've planned for myself. I ask you again, is that hard? That is incredibly hard. It's not natural. On the surface, it doesn't look like fun. It doesn't even look like it would be good. That, my friends, is why it's called faith. Because sometimes faith doesn't seem to add up. But Jesus keeps saying, you trust me. In the end, I'll connect the dots and you'll see it does make sense. So in order for me to accept and receive and experience this fullness of life that Jesus promises to me, I have to first be willing to let go of the life I've already planned for myself. Now, I want you to see how Paul describes this enriched life that the people in Ephesus could have if they were willing to let go of the life they had planned for themselves. And this is the text for the morning. Paul writes and says, When I heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus that is present in your community and of your great love for all God's people. I want to pause right there. And you see faith and love are highlighted. The reason they're highlighted is a little later on in the text, we're going to get the third member of what's called the Holy Trinity of Christian character. Faith, love, and what? Hope. Yeah. This is one of those passages in the Bible where they all occur together. So reading on, he goes, by the way, do you know why they're considered that? Because they are the hallmarks or the signs that God is living in us. And when God lives in us, he gives birth to this wonderful thing called faith that enables us to believe what he says, even when it runs counter to what we would like to do. It gives birth to this wonderful thing called love that actually sees beauty in people who by their nature and by their behavior are anything but beautiful. And yet, God enables us to love them unconditionally. And it gives birth to this beautiful and wonderful thing called hope. And we're going to come back to see more of that in just a minute. Now he says, uh, listen, I haven't stopped thanking him for you. And I'm continually speaking to him on your behalf in my prayers. And this is what I say. Are you interested in what prayer Paul might pray for people? I am. 
Let's go on and see what he has to say. God of our Lord Jesus, the anointed. Father of glory, I call out to you on behalf of your people. Give them and oh my goodness, if we could, we're just going to focus on this next phrase this morning. Give them minds ready to receive wisdom and revelation. Would you like that? Yeah, a mind that's ready to receive wisdom and revelation from God. And then he goes on to say, so they will truly know you. Oh my goodness. If God feels distant, the problem isn't God. The problem is our minds are not ready to receive wisdom and revelation from him because when our minds are ready to receive wisdom and revelation from him, he always provides wisdom and he always reveals himself to us. And the end result is we always feel like we know him better because we feel close to him. Paul says, that's why I'm praying for you. And I can tell you as a pastor, that's what I'm praying for you. That's why I'm praying for me. So that we will truly know him better. Then he goes on to say, open the eyes of their heart. Now that's kind of an interesting word picture, isn't it? Because there are some things that you see with these eyes, and then there are other things that you can't see with these eyes, but you can see with your heart. Yeah. You want to build a good marriage? Yeah? Learn to not only see beauty with these eyes, learn to see beauty with these. Am I making sense? Yeah, that's really important. He says, now open the eyes of their heart. And then he goes on to say, and let the light of your truth flood in. When you walk with Jesus, and you begin to pray, God, would you give me a mind ready to receive wisdom and revelation? I can tell you from personal experience that there will be times in your life where the presence of God becomes so real to you that you will feel overwhelmed by it. Anybody testify to that? Yeah, that is true. That the light of God would flood in. And look at what he says next. Shine your light on the hope that you are calling them to embrace. We're going to come back to the idea of embracing this. But when God comes into our lives, he begins to shine his light of wisdom and revelation on the hope that he's calling us to embrace. Now, time out. 90% of the time, I think, when we talk about hope, we're talking about something that becomes a reality after we die. I hope to live in eternity. I hope to go to heaven. I hope to be with Jesus. I hope to have life after death. That's not at all what he's talking about. What's he talking about? Look, he goes on to say, 
I want you to shine your light on the hope you are calling them to embrace. Help them grasp the immensity of the glorious way of life you have for your followers. Friends, that is the way of Jesus right there. That you and I could grasp the immensity of this enriched life that Jesus is inviting us to. It's fantastic. And since it's so fantastic, why might we struggle with it? Well, you and I have a problem. And here it is on the screen. Our brokenness, our broken nature inclines us to turn this way of Jesus into a religion. Did you know Jesus didn't come to found a religion? And I know there's a big debate about how you def correctly define religion. Okay, but for the purposes of this teaching, I want to compare what is considered standard religion, and I don't care what brand of it you might want to talk about. Okay? It could be a Far Eastern religion. It could be an Asian religion. It could be, uh, it could be more of a Middle Eastern religion. It could be a New Age religion. It even goes all the way down to existentialism and humanism. All, and many of those would even deny that they're a religion, but realistically, they all operate on the exact same principles. Just they look a little different, same principles. And the reason why there's so much religion in our world is because it's in our human nature to turn the way of Jesus into simply another religion. So I want to talk for the next few minutes about the difference between standard religion and the way of Jesus. Are you interested in that? It's a big time difference. Let's take a look. I got a chart for us and we'll start down the chart. On the left side is religion. <clears throat> and religion is interested in God's requirements. What does God require of me? I mean, after all, if someday I'm going to die and stand before him, uh, I'd like to at least have met his requirements, right? Exactly. And so religion is about whatever God requires. Secondly, it's about obeying God. Because after all, if this is what God requires, I got to get in line. I got to get myself lined up with his requirements and I got to do what he says I need to do. Thirdly, religion is about being on God's good side. <coughs> I'm going to pick on some of our wonderful friends. Our C&E friends, you know who they are? Our Christmas and Easter friends. They're wonderful people. And they're trying to be on God's good side. And so, all right, I'm not going to be heathen. I'm going to go to church on Christmas and Easter. Because after all, I want God to know I really believe in him. All right, I, I get it. 
And I'm not actually here just to pick on that. But I want us to see that when we start turning the way of Jesus into a religion, it becomes about what God requires. It becomes about obeying God. It becomes about being on God's good side. I remember standing beside the bed of a wonderful Christian woman who was actually dying. And she had been raised in a church that was very religious. They knew little of the way of Jesus. They knew all about the Christian rules. And I will never forget what she said to me. She looked at me and she said, Ron, I just hope I've done enough. Wow. And that's being on God's good side. It's keeping proper rituals. I got to go to church. I'm not sure how often I have to, but I'd like to be on the safe side. I want to get baptized. I want to take communion. Uh, I want to dedicate my kids. I, it's about keeping proper rituals. There's more. Take a look at the next part. The problem with this is it all relies on my own strength. I'm doing all this stuff for God. It's not about anything God's doing in me. It's all about the stuff I'm doing for God. There's a fear and relief thing. And those of you who come from more religious and ritualistic churches, you will recognize there's a fear and relief thing. There's absolute fear that if I don't do all the right things, I'm going to be on God's bad side. And when I finally force myself to do all the right things, there's a relief. Good, I can relax. I went to church. I said my prayers. I did my penance. I gave my tithe. I, I volunteered. I mean, I'm good. I can now relax. I don't have to feel this fear. There's also this guilt and bondage thing. And that is there's guilt, 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 guilt until I actually do what I'm supposed to do and then I have relief. But you know what that does? That brings a bondage in my life because now I got to do it again and again and again and again. And I can't ever stop because the moment I stop, I'm on God's bad side. This is religion. This is why people all over the world build temples. This is why people, if you go to India, cut themselves in the worship of their gods and they beat on drums and they do all these things because they feel like if we don't do all this stuff, we're not going to be on God's good side. This is what religion does to us. So why are we drawn to it? Because there's a black and white nature to religion. And if you just do all the right stuff, you're in. You don't have to worry. The only problem is, how do you know when you've done all the right stuff? Like this poor lady who went to church virtually every Sunday of her life for decades. In her church, she baked 
the communion bread every week and prepared communion. In her church, she went to clean the church building so it would be prepared for people. That included the restrooms. But have I done enough? I just hope. And that's the last part. There's the hope of salvation in case I die. In my language, I would call that fire insurance. You got it? I just want to make sure when I die, I go the right direction. When I was in New England years ago, there was an epitaph on a tombstone that said, Dear friend, as I am now, you soon will be prepared in death to follow me. That's pretty thought-provoking, wasn't it? Somebody came along and put a note on it and said, Dear friend, to follow you, I'll not consent until I know which way you went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now let's go back and look at the way of Jesus. Because it's so different. It's not a religion. It's a way. It is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a whole different perspective here. And let's go back to the beginning of this chart and take a look at the comparison. On the left, instead of being focused on God's requirements of me, I'm now way more interested in God's plan for me. I want to know what God has for me. Jesus said, it's really clear. I have come that you might have life and have it how? To the full. I'm really interested. Jesus, what does that look like? I want that. I'm not interested in meeting your minimum requirements. I'm interested in experiencing life. On the left, instead of focusing on obeying God, <coughs> what would happen if I decided to walk with God each day? Because I know this. If I walk with God, I'm going where he's going, right? And if I'm going where God's going, I'm doing the good stuff. It's when I decide to go where God isn't going that I find life gets hard. So if I focus every day on walking with God, my behavior is naturally good. On the left, instead of trying to be on God's good side, what if I actually wanted to know God? Huh. I'm not just interested on God looking at me someday and going, okay, Ron, you made it. Good. I'm much more interested in actually knowing God and being able to get up in the morning and saying, good morning, Jesus. Thank you for this day that you and I get to walk through together. It's my desire in this day to know you more. On the left, 
instead of being interested in keeping the proper rituals, I'm much more interested in developing a personal relationship. And then if Jesus moves me to get baptized, I'm in. Why wouldn't I? When Jesus says, why don't you join me and be buried with me in baptism so that you can be raised to walk in a whole new way of life. This is not something I have to do because Jesus said you need to do it. This is something Jesus invites me into so I can experience it with him. Whole different mindset. Let's look at the rest of the chart. Instead of relying on my own strength, the way of Jesus, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in my life and he begins to do a remodeling on the inside of my heart and my life, and he begins to craft and build a whole new person in there. Wow! This is not something I build. This is something the Spirit of God builds in me. Listen. I won't get into detail. I just want to share with you that I'm pretty sure that if you knew me outside of Jesus, you wouldn't like me. I wouldn't like me. If you like me today, it's because you are getting to see the person that the Spirit of God is building in me. And the same is true for you. This is the enriched life that Jesus calls us to in this way of Jesus. On the left side, instead of fear and relief, there's this interplay between peace and joy. When I know I have been adopted into the family of God and given a new legacy and given a new identity, when I know this, there's a peace that comes into my heart and I don't have to keep trying to earn my way into his good graces. My goodness, he's adopted me. I'm in. And I have peace. And that peace provides the platform then for me to have real joy. Not just in the moment when something happens that I like but a joy that pervades all of my life, even in the toughest moments. I'll give you just a a little personal example, although it might be a big one. Those of you who know Monica and me well know this has been, we've been married 51 years, and this has been by far the hardest year of our marriage. Okay? For those of you who are new, we're not fighting, okay? It's not that. Okay, in the last nine months, Monica has undergone numerous cancer surgeries, chemotherapy, a heart attack, and a triple bypass open heart surgery. It's been a hard year, okay? In the middle of that, our lead pastor left. And so I inherited the church again. It's been a hard year. But Monica will tell you numerous times during this year 
we have shared together, we are so blessed. Why can we say that? Well, number one, we've been adopted into the family of God. That's pretty good, don't you think? Yeah. Number two, God has walked with us through every surgery, every chemo infusion, the heart attack, the open heart surgery. And in fact, the doctor said to Monica, it's a good thing you had a heart attack and you had this open heart surgery before you have the one final surgery you need for your cancer. Because if you hadn't had this, you could have had a heart attack on the operating table and almost for sure you would have died. Have you ever been thankful for a heart attack? <laughs> Listen, the stuff I'm talking to us about today, it's not pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's real stuff. But this enriched way of living. It's so we don't have it, we don't have it together every day. There are days when I lose sight of this. And there are days when I go out and just sort of live on my own. No, I don't do wild and crazy and stupid things. But there are days when I don't feel closely connected to God. Do you have any of those days? We all do, right? Yeah. It's in those days that I lose sight of this hope, the immensity of this life that God has for me. And I forget to embrace it that day. I want to give us some help for how to embrace it. And then going on, there's a freedom and a fulfillment instead of a bondage and a guilt. It's just amazing when we walk with God the way He actually invites us to. There's such a freedom in that to try things we would never otherwise try. Yeah. And there's a fulfillment that comes in that. And last of all, there's a transformation and there's not the hope of salvation. I just hope I've done enough. There's the assurance of salvation. And that's so different. There's a passage of Scripture I want us to focus on as we bring this to a close. Paul writes and says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't you? This is from the Phillips translation, and I love that. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You ever felt squeezed into the mold of the world? We all do. I do. You got to think. You know, this is group think. Got to think like the whole world thinks. And you turn on your TV and you watch the commercials and you got to have all the stuff the world says you got to have or somehow you missed out on life. If you don't have the right shampoo, God help your hair. It's crazy. And we get squeezed into the world's mold. He goes on to say, instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing what? The way you think. Oh, let's go back to our original text. God, 
would you give us minds that are ready to receive your wisdom and revelation? That is allowing God to change the way we think. And then he goes on to say, what will happen? Then you will learn to know. Oh my goodness. What does it mean to learn to know? Well, I know one thing. It's not quick. Because it's not then you will know. It's then you will what? Learn to know. Life is this long learning experience where we are learning to know what is actually already true. Then you will learn to know God's will or plan for you. Huh. This, my friend, is why you and I need revelation. Revelation. There are some days when the fog settles on Sonoma County and you're driving in your car and you can see maybe an eighth of a mile. That's not fun, is it? Because you can't really see much. You know what you really need? Some revelation. You need a fog to lift because then you can see. When you and I go through life, there are periods of time when the visibility is very limited, right? And what we need is just some revelation from God. And God will lift the fog a little bit and let us see what he has next for us. This is what it means to learn to know. Then he goes on to say, You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, it's not easy to start out following Jesus and just go, oh man, whatever you say, I believe it's good, pleasing, and perfect. I can tell you that if that's your response, it's going to get tested really quick. Because there's some learning to know that God is calling you into. But I could also tell you this. The longer that you pray, God, would you give me this enriched life? Would you help me to let go of the life I have for myself so I can experience the life you have for me? The longer you live in that perspective, the more you will come to find out that the life God has for you is good. It's not just kind of good. It's not just sometimes good. It's good. And the more you will experience, it's not just good. It's pleasing. And do you know that the root word in pleasing is the same root word as pleasant. That there's a pleasantness to this way of Jesus' life. And then last of all, 
if you stay with it long enough, you'll come to realize there's no way to make it better. It's perfect. And when you mess with perfection, you don't make it better, right? You only mess it up. It's good. It's pleasing. And it's perfect. Now listen, on your chairs, you will find a prayer sheet. <clears throat> and it's got three prayer postures that I want to lead us in. And you can sit right on the chairs as we go through these prayer postures. And the reason I put it on a sheet is because some of you were here maybe six, eight weeks ago when I led us in prayer postures of we had our fists and then we had surrender and then we had our hands clenched and then we open-handed and then uh, there was one other one, I forget what. Oh, we were like this and, and then we went like this, okay? I can tell you since then, I have been practicing that in my life. It really helps me have the right posture in living. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take the sheet with you and at least twice this week, walk yourself through this exercise, okay? Now, it's optional, okay? Nobody's going to look around and, and say, oh, they didn't do it over there. We're not, we're not into that, okay? But if you want to, I want to encourage you to do this. And I'm going to read this out loud. It's a simple prayer. And if you want to, you can start with your fists clenched, okay? God hears our prayer. God, my fists are clenched to acknowledge to you that it's my nature to want to hold on to my life, to direct it the way I want it to go, to do what seems best to me and for me. And it works for me sometimes. But by hanging on to my life, I'm coming to realize I'm missing out on the life you have for me. And now if you want to turn your palms down. Jesus, I now have opened my hands and turned my palms down to say to you that I'm intentionally letting go of my life and my plans because you said that I cannot receive the life you have for me until I let go of the life I've planned for myself. For myself. This is scary, and it's very unnatural for me. But I'm learning to trust you, even when it makes me uncomfortable. That's why I'm letting go. This is an act of my growing faith. And then last of all, if you want to turn your palms up, loving Father, I have now turned my palms up as a sign that I am now ready to receive life on your terms. My hands, my heart, my spirit are open to you. I'm no longer bound to my old life. I'm now free to receive your new life. Reveal to me right now and throughout this week what I can do to walk in the way of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. 
You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.